All right. Well, we are in the midst of Christmas, as you all know. If you missed it by now, uh, something wrong with you. So uh, we, are, we are looking at how we can pursue joy in the midst of Christmas. So how can uh, the Christmas season create uh, not just a sort of happiness, but an everlasting joy, a joy that is true, that it is lasting, that uh, can endure the ups and downs of life. And this week we're, uh, we're looking at kind of the collision of two uh, seemingly incompatible aspects of Christmas, uh, this great joy and the great humility associated with this season, that those two come together in Christmas, that uh, you can't have one without the other. Now that's, of course, the, the story of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came to, to be humbled, and it is his humility that uh, empowers the joy that he came and did what he did. But uh, we don't often associate humility with joy. All right. No one wants a humble Christmas feast. No one wants a, a humble amount of presents under the Christmas tree. All right. If, if someone comes to your house and like, that was, that was pretty humble, uh, they didn't have a good time. I don't know. That's just how it works. So how do we, how do we embrace... Uh, how do we find joy in not just the humility of Christ, but uh, our own humility in the midst of this, this Christmas season? Because it's not just that Jesus was humbled. Uh, we celebrate that, yes. But there's an invitation in, in this Christmas season to humble ourselves and to walk in that same path and to do it for, for the sake of our joy that we with great joy would humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself. And that's what we're looking at today, that we would find great joy in that purpose and in that mission and uh, put Christ on display by being humble ourselves. So uh, we're going to look at, at kind of three ways that humility opens the, the door to joy. First, joy in community. Second, joy in demonstrating Christ. And then finally, Joy in, in the final glory that is to come. All of those things come to us only because of humility. And let's then look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. This is Paul speaking to the Philippian church. Uh, he is in prison and gives this message to the church. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that it is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the, the beautiful theology and truth that is found in this passage, but we are also um, appropriately humbled because it is a, a high calling to walk in the path of Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see what, what that calling really is, but Father, you would give us power by your Holy Spirit uh, to desire that kind of life, and Father, uh, to not just desire it or not just pursue it out of this kind of self-righteous calling, but that we receive it with great joy because we love our Savior and we long to put him on display. So, Father, would you help us now? Would you teach us and would you speak to us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so how does humility create joy? And we start by looking at how... uh, Humility can create joy by creating a community of, of joy and unity and love. A people who are joyful because they are humble. And to set the scene, uh, so Paul has been speaking throughout this book about his imprisonment. And he's found great joy, surprisingly, in, uh, in prison because of the work that he gets to do while he's there. But yes, he's... He's in prison, he is suffering, but we have that famous line, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That he gets to proclaim the glories of Christ in the midst of prison. And there are, there are soldiers who are trapped there, guarding him day after day. They're hearing the gospel. There are other prisoners who are hearing the gospel. Uh, the governors and the rulers are hearing the gospel each time that he's presented before them. And he takes great joy and the fact that he is being humbled in this way. Now, there's those kind of people who they, they are great servants and they, they seem like they're always the first to, to sacrifice. And sometimes they have this air about them that, that they're the ones who sacrifice and they're the ones who serve. And everyone else, they just need to receive. Right? That, you know, I, I'm the humble one in this, in this area. And uh, that's not a great word. Uh, I'm the humble one and you don't get to enter into that. You stay in your place. I'll serve you. And no. All right, Paul doesn't do that here. This is where Paul, he, he turns the page and he says, yes, I have found great joy, and I'm actually inviting you to enter into that joy yourself. That the joy that I have found, I don't want to hoard it. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm better than anyone here. No, all I, I want you to complete my joy by becoming as I am If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Basically, I've poured myself out, I've given you all these blessings, and if I just have one thing in return that would make me truly joyful, it's that you would be the same way. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right. Now this is, this is the call to build this community that is characterized by by love and by peace and mutual self-sacrifice. And it, it is this beautiful picture, and I think one that we would be captivated by. 
It sounds like a place where, where people are joyful and where they're free and where they uh, are being loved and loving other people. Uh, but it starts with this, this extremely radical commitment. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Okay, what does that mean? That means in the, in the body of Christ, to glorify Christ and to love one another, uh, you're never to put your best interests first. Your opinions don't get to be the, the opinions that are the first to be heard. You are not first asking the question, what can I get out of this? You are looking around and you're asking, how can I love and serve the people here? How can I care for them? How can I lay my life down for the people next to me? And how can, I, how can I embody what Christ has done here in this, in this church, in this fellowship, in this community? Now, in that, that's an that's a act of faith. It's an act of faith to, to hold up all of your desires, all of your wishes, everything that you want for this community, everything you want for yourself, and to admit that those things are, they are selfish, they are not Christ-like, simply because they are about you first. And to throw those away and say, you know what, all the times that I am concerned with myself and absorbed with myself, all those things are the opposite of Christ and what he's done and who he came to be. All right. that's, a, that's a humbling, that is a scary place to be to recognize that first we don't do it and second, uh, who's going to look out for us if we do it? Who's going to look out for us and care for us? Will we really find joy if we don't fight for it ourselves? Will we get the things we want? Will we get the things that we feel owed to us? What could this possibly look like? All right, so uh, just a small illustration to see how this might work and how we might actually find joy in this kind of community. Uh, when it comes to Christmas presents, all right, Christmas presents. All right, I have been presented several times this season with like the, like, what do you want for Christmas? All right. And what does that create in me? All right, so I, I look into my heart of hearts and ask myself, how am I discontent in my present state? <laughs> and how could I solve my present discontent with materialism? <laughs> and how can I uh, explore the, uh, the world about, about me and, uh, and meet my deepest desires? All right, it has made me miserable. All right, every time that I try to do that, it's miserable because uh, all you're doing is you're, you're opening up your sinful heart and asking, like, selfishness, just, like, come pouring out of me and see if you can uh, latch on to anything in the world, and it's probably going to be too expensive, and you're probably not going to get it. And, uh, and, that, and that's the... All right, that's the mentality of the life that we live that's all about ourselves. It's just, it's just sin preys upon that kind of mindset because our hearts will never be content. 
And they, they long to deceive us and to, to draw us into ourselves. All right. Then there's this other side of me. All right. There's the other side of me that is, is becoming the quintessential dad. All right. I always thought that dads were sad on Christmas because all they get are socks and T-shirts and, and underwear. All right. And I always thought, like, like, poor dads. I never want to be a dad. And you're always looking at, like, your toys and, like, dad, uh, sorry. All right. I'm coming to the realization, dad actually isn't sad on Christmas. He doesn't care. All right. He really doesn't want anything, and the things that he wants, they're probably, he's not probably going to get. And so uh, he's completely content. And instead, where has his joy been focused? It's in the toys of his children. And what is it about? It's about building the bike and like seeing your kid get excited about it. And getting excited about the toys that you will never play with, but that they will enjoy. It's that shift. It's that shift that says, you know, it's not about my joy, it's about another's joy and enjoying them in that process. All right. That's what, that's what dads do on Christmas. All right. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, dads. That might have ruined your, uh, your gift ideas or uh, the focus on you. But uh, there's, this, there's this, this mindset and this switch. Now, it's an easy one because, uh, you know, three-year-olds are cute and they're, they're always happy and uh, they're half my genetics, so it's easy to, to get excited for them. But all right, that's the mentality that we're called to have with all of life. That to live as Christ is to live with that mentality that your joy is invested in other people and with the same diligence and focus that you pursue your own joys instead shifting it and focusing on the joys of others and serving others, and humbling yourself and putting them ahead of yourself. All right, that's the picture. And that is the community that the Christ calls us to build. Where you're looking out for everyone but yourself, and everyone else is looking out for everyone but themselves. Now, there's an opportunity there for, for great loss. There's an opportunity to, for great sorrow if no one meets your needs. But that's where uh, there's other layers to this. There's other layers. There's deeper, richer things here. Even, even as Paul, he is, he is suffering on, on his own by himself. He has found uh, another source of joy. Even deeper than this community, he's found joy in imitating Jesus Christ joy in imitating Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It belongs to you because you are in Christ. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right. All right, so we have to uh, all right, get, get Jesus, take, get him out of his white robes and his, his long hair. All right, removing that, all right, we're thinking Jesus as he, as he was from all eternity, the second person of the Trinity, the one through whom all things were made. Eternally begotten, we don't even understand what that means, but eternally begotten, he existed for all eternity 
He has no body. He is spirit because he has no needs. He has no weakness. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He knows all things. He can do all things. He has never been in need. He has never been in want. He has always been uh, the greatest that has always existed. The only thing that is truly necessary. That is the one who then comes down and he has the, he's the form of God because he is God. Exactly and perfectly God. And yet, what does he do? He does not count it a thing to be grasped. A thing to be grasped. To be clung to, to be possessed. All right, so image for this. Image for this. Uh, never I think of, of, of this wordplay, uh, I think of where the red fern grows. All right, where the red fern grows. Really sad book. All right, it's about this kid who, uh, he has these hound dogs and he's, he's a coon hunter. But, to get his very first raccoon, uh, he has to catch it himself because the dogs, can't, they, they, need to, they need to get a pelt so they can smell it. And so he has to get this one, the first one himself. And what he does is he's, he's told that, all right, you're supposed to find a log and drill a hole in it and then put something shiny and pretty in the hole and then make it so that a raccoon can stick his little hand in there and wrap his hands around it, but when he does, he won't be able to get it out. All right, and he'll be trapped there, and then you can go, you can go get him. Now, I was in middle school, and I raised my why doesn't he just let go of the stupid thing and he can get out? Uh, <laughs> all right, this is the whole point. Uh, all right, raccoons, they are so enamored with the shiny thing, they will never let it go. They will not let it go, even if you're coming up and about to bash their head in. They will hold on to their dear life. They cling to it. And that's how he gets his first raccoon. His dad says, you're never allowed to do that again. It's taking advantage of them. They can't help it. From now on, you have to go use your dogs, but this first one. All right, that's the picture here of grasping something and clinging to it. And that's the difference between Jesus and us. Jesus had the shiniest little rock that there was, divinity. His godhood. And he could have clung to it. And he could have said, you know what, it's, it's not worth it. I'm too holy to do this work. I'm too powerful. I am too knowledgeable. I'm too glorious but he didn't grasp onto it. He lets go. And he lets go so that he might earn the salvation of his people. So that he might live the perfect life as a human for us and he might die the death that we deserve to die. He let go of that. He did not cling to it so that he might give salvation to us. Right, that's the great beauty of this Christmas season. And so he becomes the, the God-man with two natures. All right, just a reminder, uh, when we talk about him, uh, he empties himself. All right, when he empties himself, it's not emptying himself by 
pouring out his divinity. It's by taking up human weakness and frailty. All right. It's like if you try to, when you're trying to cook and you have a toddler help you. All right. <laughs> you're going to get a lot less done. You're going to be a lot weaker, not because you, by addition of another member. All right. That's how this works here. He's taking on a human nature and he takes on humility, he takes on weakness, he takes on poverty and frailty. And ultimately, he's able to die because of that. Now, that's where we, we have to ask ourselves, uh, are we raccoons? Are we little raccoons that have clung to things where we get glory and pride from and have we refused to let go? Even when someone comes with a club behind us, we are about to, be, to die, and we will not let go. All right, what are the things you hold on to? All right, is, it, is it status? Is it class? Is it political party? Is it your, your skills, your job, your financials? All right, what is the thing that you cling to that says, you know what, I don't have to serve. I am either too weak or too strong to be humbled in that way. All right, this, is a, this is an invitation to us to, to be humbled and to sacrifice and to give up of our desires unto the glory of Christ. All right, one example, coronavirus. All right. You have opinions about it. I know you do. All right. You can cling to those. But some of you might be clinging to those things at the expense of this loving community, at the expense of sharing the gospel, at the expense of putting Christ on display. And you could do that by, by being too superior to... To put on a mask, you could be too superior to, to come around other people when we're reminded that what is, what, did, what is Paul's context here? Paul's context is one who is imprisoned and ultimately killed for the sake of the gospel to live as Christ and to die as gain. All right. At some point, that category has come to come into your life and it's to live as Christ and die as gain. Is that really going to be true, or is that just going to be a metaphor that isn't really worked out in your life? All right. But we ask, why, why do it? Why take on the, the humility and the suffering of Christ? Why do we want to be like him? All right. For the same reasons that Jesus did at first. To, to proclaim the gospel. If Jesus hadn't done it, then the gospel wouldn't have been possible. And if we don't do it, then the gospel will not be proclaimed. It is our, our humble responsibility to take up the charge to, to proclaim the gospel in all of its weakness, in all of its humility, in all of its suffering, and to make our lives about that. And second... Jesus did it for the glory of his Father. We do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because we love what he's done. And we can't love what he's done and then say, well, I don't want to do that. That's, that's, 
that's boring and dumb. No, if we love what Jesus has done, then, then we do it ourselves. And we become these living examples of Jesus. Not just proclaiming it, but, but living it out. And what Paul says, he says, that is great joy for us. That is the joy of humility. That we get to proclaim Christ and we get to imitate Jesus Christ and put his glory on display. All right. One last reason. One other reason we, we take great joy in our humility is that we have this great promise that those who suffer and humble themselves with Christ are glorified with Christ. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, yes, Jesus is humbled. Jesus is humbled far more than anyone will ever be humbled. All right, if you turn into an ant, you would not be as humbled as Jesus was humbled, uh, not even close. All right, but Jesus, as low as he goes, he is lifted up to the highest greats of, heights of glory, the name that is above every name, that he becomes Lord of Lord and King of Kings, he becomes Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah. He becomes the great king and he is lifted up. And for all the time that he was scorned, for all the times that he was mocked, for all the times he was beaten and betrayed and blasphemed, at the end, every knee will bow, whether they want to or not, and he will receive glory. Now, just like the, the humility is a call to us, and a call to, to walk in that path, so is the glory. And Jesus is not just an example for us. He is the, the forerunner. He's the pattern. He forges the way, and he says, you know what? If you enter with me into humility, you will enter with me into glory. Romans 8.16 The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. That there's this call to follow the path of Jesus. And that's where I remind us, all right, humility is not a virtue in and of itself. It's not like, oh, you know, just, just humble yourself and it's, it's always good. No, we humble ourselves for a purpose, to proclaim Christ, to build a community of love, to imitate Jesus and put him on display. But in the end, we don't hate glory. We just know there's a one way to get it, and it's in Christ. And that's the only way to get it. And as much as we may fight for it in this life, uh, it is freely given by grace to those who will enter into it in humility. And that's where we're not, we're not masochists. We're not saying, you know, we don't care about any of that stuff. No, we do care. But we sacrifice it now knowing that there's, there's far more to come. And that's where maybe you won't see it in this life. Maybe you won't see it. Maybe it will just be humility 
Maybe you'll just be sacrificed. Maybe you won't even see the people come to Christ. And that's where we, we put our hope in the work that Christ has done and the path that he has forged, his death and his resurrection. That is our path to, to glory and to joy. And that's how we take great joy in our humility here and now in the, the humble work of Christ and in this calling to humble ourselves. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son. We thank you that even our humility, our, our humility is never a test of our salvation, but Father, it's a, a mere reflection of what Christ has already done, and he has done far more than we can ever imitate, ever pattern ourselves after. And so, Father, we, we ask that we would be just pale imitations, and Father, that you would be content with the small sacrifices of your children, with uh, just the meekest of gifts, knowing that you have an abundance of grace for us. And Father, would you forgive us for the self-seeking and the conceit? Will you forgive us for grasping onto glory that, that is nothing compared to what you offer us by grace? And Father, I ask that you would show us the things that we cling to. You would give us great joy in imitating Jesus. And we would proclaim him to the glory of your name, Father. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name.
Let's stand and hear our benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. one of the members of the real estate committee here at our church and um yeah,